It's good to see you. Um, I'm excited. We're starting our, our summer series here. Uh, we're actually going to have two series. We're going to look at uh, the whole armor of God for June and July, something I really haven't looked at since I was in like VBS, you know, since I was a little kid. I don't know if as an adult I've ever really taken seriously the armor of God. And, and so uh, it's about time. And then in August, Kat's put together a series for us looking at, at some women in Scripture that God has empowered in their day and, and their influence for in our lives now. So this, this should be a great summer together. At the same time, doing the, um, the Slow Invasion course, which I'm really excited about. But uh, we're doing this Armor of God, and part of this is we're to be aware of the battle that we're in. You know, we've sing these songs, these songs that we just sang, they're familiar to us. We talk about fighting a battle, but we don't really know how to do this. And we don't, this week, what we're looking at is who are we actually even fighting? Like, um, how does that take place? And, and so if you were with us last month, we went through different stories of our people. And it was beautiful. Those of you who shared, it was beautiful and powerful to hear how God has moved in your life. And, and that is what we've talked about since January. That is how we overcome, by the blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus, that's already taken care of. We celebrate that and remember that with communion. And then the word of our testimony, right? That's how we overcome, is those things. And we heard people's testimony of how God has moved in their life. We know that's how we overcome in this life, but how do we, like, that, that is like the strategy, the big picture strategy. But then how do we actually fight like today? How, how do we make it today? I know in the, in the end I'll overcome, but it doesn't necessarily feel like that's happening in the day to day. How do we do this like hand to hand combat? And this series is really zoomed in close and we're using Paul's words in, in Ephesians 6, um, and if you've got a Bible or a device or it's, it's written on our programs, uh, we're going to look at just three verses to, today in light of this. It's towards the end of the book of Ephesians, so if you want to read the whole context, I, I would say that'd probably be good. Read through Ephesians so you get the whole context of the letter. But in the end, starting in, in verse 10, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Hey, buddy. That's awesome. So the struggle is against... It is not against people in flesh and blood, right? And I think we need to, we're going we're gonna to go in reverse. We're going to look at verse 12, then 11, then 10. And starting with this idea that the struggle is not against one another. It's not. And I, I think we forget this. I think sometimes it feels like our struggle is with other flesh and blood. And in fact, this verse gets kind of weaponized. 
Sometimes this verse gets used in a way to say like, well, you know, we're not to fight one another and it's a way to kind of get people to just settle in, just deal with whatever life is bringing you, uh, stay in oppression, stay in a defeated state. That's not at all what Paul is saying. He's saying there is a fight. There's a fight and we're to fight and we're to arm up and we're going to look at that actual armor in the, in the next couple weeks. But we need to know who it is that we're fighting against. So when I was younger, I had, I had nightmares a bit. Y'all ever have nightmares? So I would get, and I think this was even into when we were married, I would get like so tense in these nightmares so that if I was startled awake, I would swing. I'd like, and I'm not a good fighter or anything, but I, I, I would, I'd, I'd swing and just panic. The nightmare was so real, I often wouldn't even know what the nightmare was, although, confession, I had a reoccurring nightmare of a man with a cigar in a bunny suit walking around the, our community and uh, <laughs> after school, and if you weren't home yet, bad thing, like it was a scary dream that made no sense, but I made sure to be home every day because that guy might be real. Maybe that's what I was swinging at. But if you came and startled me in this nightmare, if you woke me up, I would swing. And you were probably my friend. You were probably on my side. But I would swing because I was so uh, amped up. I, I was so anxious. I was so in this fight. And I think for many of us, we're waking up to a nightmare. I think for many of us, we're living in that space. And we're wanting to swing and we're, we're wanting to just, just get anything to get this fight away from us. We're aware that, that there's evil around. We're aware that there's things coming against us and we just want it to stop, right? So we end up swinging at the people close to us. Now, Paul's really clear that this is our battle. This is collective this is not you're to go home and on your own arm up and then go be like some like Mel Gibson movie and fight everybody or like Gladiator where you've got to fight on your own. That's not what this is. This is our collective battle. Now, some of us are taking more hits than others, but this is our battle. And together we are to fight together looking out for one another. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, Paul is writing this to the Ephesians, right? That's what the letter's called. It's probably a letter that moved around church to church, but within the city of Ephesus. And so I want to give you, if, if you want some homework this week, read Acts 19, okay? Just read through that one chapter. I'm going to give you the brief summary. What happens is Ephesus is this place where there's the temple of Artemis. You'll pr probably have heard of this. It, it was one of the wonders of the world. The Temple of Artemis was this place where people gathered for two pilgrimages every year and came and there was pretty, to, to us, pretty grotesque practices that happened there. A lot of sacrifices were made. And the city was built, kind of the economy was built somewhat around the worship of this fertility goddess, okay? It's important to know because what's happening is there's, people who live in Ephesus who, who cater to tourists. You know how you've been to those cities? 
Like uh, there's one in Tennessee I've never been to that people talk about. Gatlinburg or Wisconsin Dells where we used to live. Like places that you, or like us during Derby. Like, you know, we're just, the city is kind of littered with more like trinkety kind of things that tourists can buy. That's what's happening in Ephesus. There's a whole industry built around people coming into worship. Particularly, they would buy silver stuff. They would buy little silver statues that looked like this goddess, and they would go put that in their house. And so there were all these silversmiths who would make these little statues, sell to tourists. They'd take them back. You make more, more come in. And that's like the economy of the town. We know that cities have things they specialize. This is what Ephesus specializes in. So here's what happens. Paul comes in, and for over two years, he preaches every single day. And he preaches in this hall where, where it's a big hall. People are coming in, listening to him. And when they're coming in, like God is doing really miraculous stuff that I think we need to kind of deal with. Like someone brings a handkerchief, touches Paul with the handkerchief, and then touches a sick person with the handkerchief, and the sick person is healed. Either scripture is exaggerating, or God does that, and since God doesn't change, we probably need to think this through. Someone touches Paul with an apron, and then that apron goes and it's brought to a sick person, and the sick person is healed. And this is happening enough that it gets in our record of the early church, right? That's pretty powerful stuff. Another thing that's happening is there, there's this whole group of people who live in Ephesus who are, are reading books about magic. And, and it's like the how-to kind of magic. Not like the kind that your kid might like where they're trying to do tricks, like, like sleight of hand kind of magic. This is the like, I want to be like the superhero magic kind of people. I want to be like a wizard kind of magic. I, I want to use the power of the gods and make the gods work for me kind of thing is the way that they're thinking. And so they would spend their money on this library of books of magic. But then they would come and listen to Paul and there was so much power in what Paul was doing and saying. And there was so much power in God that they would build piles of their books and just burn the books. So there's burning piles of books because that magic doesn't work. But what Paul is doing in the hall that works. And so we want, and, and the silversmiths watch this. They're watching this market, right? Because it's an economic thing. They're watching this market for magic books just vanish. If you've got the next magic book coming out, nobody's going to buy it. And they start to worry about themselves. They start to worry what's going to happen to our little silver trinkets. And so there's this interesting little passage in the middle of Acts 19. We're not going to read the whole chapter. It's worth it. But we're just going to, I want to read to you two verses in Acts 19, 26 and 27. There's this guy named Demetrius who goes to all the other silversmiths. And he says this. You also see in here, not only in Ephesus, but in almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made with hands are not gods. 
And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned and she will be deprived of her majesty and brought all Asia and the world to worship her. Here's what he's saying. Paul is going around saying if we make a God that it's not really a God. (laughs) We would probably say that, right? He's saying gods made by our hands are not really gods. And if people keep listening, they're not going to come worship Artemis. And if they don't worship Artemis, we don't have jobs. And so people turn around and say, you're going to take my job away? Well, great is Artemis. And they throw a giant riot in Ephesus. The whole city riots because of the faith is changing the economy of the city, which I get kind of excited about this idea, but it's not the point. So Demetrius tells everybody, we're going to lose our jobs if Paul keeps at this. So everybody then says, we got to do something about Paul. And it's believed that Paul is arrested at this point. This is one of the points where he's beaten and and flogged and all of this like painful stuff. And the point of all this that I'm saying is that his body would have shown scars of Demetrius' activities and words against him. The words that this one person that we know his name, Demetrius the silversmith, caused such pain to Paul that his body would have shown marks. That later he doesn't come into Ephesus, he just stays out on the shores to meet with people. It changed where he, he lived there two years, he doesn't live there anymore. He lost his home, his friends, his church, all of this because of the words of one person. And when he writes to that church that Paul loves, he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against Demetrius or the Demetrius in your life. Our battle is against powers and principalities. So there was a power to that economic system, right? There, there was a power behind that to keep that. That's, that's what it is. Our, power is against, our battle is against evil, but not against Demetrius. And I think we need to hear, hear this. Because it's so easy right now to make villains of one another. To make villains of people we haven't even met, but we disagree with. To, to think that they are the bad guy and we are to fight them. That is not... What's said, and Paul is not out of touch with, with life. He has pain and he knows who caused the pain. But our battle is not with that person. So here's a real ramification of that. If you have this huge desire to fight somebody like that, that's the space where God needs to heal. If there's somebody that rises that up in us, maybe... Maybe there's some evil that was done in their actions and all of that, but we don't get to dismiss the image of God in somebody else. We don't get to say, like, well, that's just not there. And this is hard work. So we go to the Lord and ask for God to to heal those things and, and move in us because Paul was not out of touch. He did this work. And again, in, in verse 12... It says, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In the verse before, 
Paul says, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I love that the NRSV uses wiles and it makes me think of Wiley Coyote. Does it make you guys think of that? That's actually what his name, you've probably seen it written, but I'm just realizing there's a lot of things from our childhood that we don't recognize, like that Corella DeVille's name spells devil. Like people just learned that because of Disney Plus in the last couple months, right? And, and Wiley Coyote's name was Wile E. Period Coyote. It's this word. And, and when I think of this verse, I think of Wiley Coyote. I don't know how he had an inexhaustible amount of money and how, or if he had a line of credit with Acme products. I don't know what it is. But this coyote, he, he had somebody funding him, you know? There was something ensuring that he had the money and he had one sole purpose, to take out the roadrunner, right? And he invested everything he could, every single way he could, whether it be rockets, whether it be traps, whether it be boxes, every destructive, horrible way he could eliminate this roadrunner, he did. And the thing about it, I don't, I, I don't know, I'd like to see the origin movie, but I don't know what the roadrunner ever did. I don't know where it started. I just know that this coyote hated the roadrunner and invested everything to destroy the roadrunner, right? We are to put on the full armor of God, not so that we look sharp. We're not to gain knowledge of the truth just so that we know the truth. We're not to be righteous just so we can point out that other people aren't righteous. We're not to know peace simply so we can be like, cool, peace. We're to know this because that wily coyote is after us. And he's exhausting all means possible to get in your way and to get in our way, to make us divisive with one another, to make us attack one another and forget that our enemy is actually this wily coyote and start to think that maybe my enemy's you. Maybe I need to get in your way. This is what, ha like, we could just read our human history. This is what happens over and over. Families split and fighting. Nations split and fighting. Because we forget who we are and we forget who we're fighting. We put on this armor not to be somebody, but we put it on because, because of the wiles of the devil that we have to stand against. And we don't have to know some kung fu moves to defeat. We just have to stand. That's what scripture says. Just stand. God will arm you and then stand against this in opposition to, not in agreement, not stand aside so that the coyote can run wild, but stand against in opposition. I know that as we're talking battle, we're aware that we're tired, right? But look how he begins this whole section. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Anytime I'm told, I'm told to be strong, I feel tired. Go be strong. I'd, I'd rather go be napped. I, I would rather go lay down. But let's pay attention to this. We're not told go be strong on your own. Go muster up some strength. Go grab another cappuccino. 
so that you can be energized and highly caffeinated. That's not what we're told here. We're told be strong in the strength of God's power. So you don't have to find this strength within you. You don't have to. It's beautiful that you probably have a lot of strength within you. I look around and I know some, I know that you have mustered up strength and courage and all of this. What we're told really clearly is we don't have to do that alone anymore. We actually never had to. Again, that's part of the wiles of this coyote who's after us, is to think that on our own we have to muster the courage, muster the strength. No, you are never on your own. It is always us. And our tank that we're leaning into is not our own. It is the strength of the Lord. It is the courage of the Lord. And so really what we're seeing in in a way that we would understand more is like tap into the strength of the Lord. That's how we're strong. So if you feel weak, what do we know the, the end of that is? In your weakness, he is strong, right? And that's part of our song of many of our childhood. A reminder that Jesus loves us is that, okay, when we're weak, he's strong. Allow his strength to be enough. So there's this amazingly powerful run-on sentence that we get from Paul at the beginning of the letter of Ephesians. I want to read this kind of in closing for us. It's verse 17 through 19. If you have a Bible open, you might want to you, you might want to read it because uh, it, it's a run-on sentence. But here's what he says. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. Not that you have it on your own, but that he gives you a spirit of wisdom. And revelation as you come to know him. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which you, he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He talks here about about wisdom talks about being enlightened. He talks about hope. And none of those you having to muster up on your own. If when you wake up, it's hard to find hope, you might not have it in you. That's okay. You don't have to have it in you. It comes in you through Christ. That's where it comes. The Holy Spirit places it in you, but you don't have to muster it yourself. And if you're like, Matt, you don't understand my battle, you don't understand my struggle, you don't know how hard this is, you're right, I I don't. And we could have coffee and I could begin to understand. But I do know that whatever I have ever faced is not more difficult than raising someone who is dead, putting life back in that body. If there's enough power to make somebody who is dead alive, there's probably enough power to make someone who is broken, or prone to evil, or something like that, like me, be upright again, be, be fixed. If there's enough power to breathe life into, into Jesus and into this resurrected body in which people saw him, then there is enough power 
to give me strength today? There is. There's enough power to raise him from the dead. There is enough power to make this tired 42-year-old be like, okay, I can do this. I can do this day. Not because I mustered up strength, not because I played my, my jam on the way in, though sometimes a song might help, but because I went to my father and said, Father, I need your strength today because I got nothing. And so when we're talking about this armor this summer, when we're talking about arming and battling and all of this kind of stuff, let's remember we're not doing this so that we can beat one another or we can go fight some other folks. We're doing this because this coyote is already after us. And we're not doing this ever on our own strength. Once we get the sword and the shield, we're, we're not pumping iron to just get strong on our own, but we're doing this in the strength of the Lord. So as we remember where this tower is from, I, I, wanna, I want us to observe communion together. If you need a, a cup, someone was, someone's going to probably bring them by. Go ahead and put your hand up if you need one. But let's remember this power that though we know Jesus sweat blood, though we know that he wasn't excited to go and die, we know that he willingly went and faced our enemy. He went and faced these powers and principalities. He went and faced the evil. And he died and then he rose again. But before it all, he said, when you, when you take the, the bread or, or the little wafer, he broke it. He said, when you're together, take this bread and remember that it's my body that is broken for you. And today, let's remember that it was broken, but it is no longer broken. It's scarred. The, the memories of it are still there, but he is not broken. He's resurrected. That same power is at work for you and I. And he took the cup. And before he passed it around, he said, every time you gather, remember that this is my blood that's shed for you. Anytime that you feel like you're fighting alone, anytime that you feel like all the powers of this world are aimed against you, you can remember that it's not against you alone. You are never alone. He is within you. His blood is shed for you. He said, drink of it and remember me. Let's pray together here.